Thank you, ladies. I trust you had a great week celebrating the Savior's birth and perhaps are still uh, having upcoming celebrations and things with family, perhaps. But uh, uh, we had a great time with our family. Hopefully uh, you did as well. Uh, but we're also at the time of year where we uh, start thinking about the new year, right? We're one day away, right? So it's, it's very common this time of year that lots of people look at the past year, what's happened, good or bad, and from a business perspective, a lot of people look at the, the year and are looking at it as a profit-loss situation. How, how did we do profit-wise? Did we make money? Did we lose money? Uh, and businesses look at things that way and many times uh, just see success based upon money. Did we make money? Do we make lots of money? Are profits high? And if so, there's happiness from the owners and managers uh, responsible. And if there's losses uh, having happened during that past year, there's some sadness. And, and uh, we as individuals, though, sometimes can look at our year in a similar way and look at different things that have happened and be sad about or uh, certain things happen and be happy about those. And, and perhaps even as we're thinking about the new year, there can be excitement about what's coming or perhaps even a fearful anticipation of some bad things that are pending. Um, but in spite, in spite of these tendencies and instead of looking at our year and our future in that kind of way, I want to encourage us this morning to think about things a different way, to instead of focusing on just what happens and evaluating all of that as good and bad, I think we should remind ourselves to look at uh, our situation in the way the scriptures encourage us to look at our situation. And we're going to look this morning at Psalm 103 and look at how David challenges himself and thereby also in recording scripture under the inspiration of God challenges us as well to praise God for his benefits, his goodness that he shows to his people. So instead of just looking at events, uh, good or bad, success or failure in the past year or the coming year, uh, I think this is a great encouragement to us to set our joy, to set our focus upon our relationship with God uh, because God does not change and he is good and he gives many good gifts to his children as we'll see here in Psalm 103. I know this is a familiar passage, and uh, I was reading, uh, if, if you're familiar at all, uh, with Charles Spurgeon, he's written th a three-volume set on the book of Psalms, and I can't remember the exact quote of how he phrased it, but he talked about Psalm 103 being the crowning uh, psalm of praise to God. It's just a wonderful, beautiful psalm, and I feel very inadequate to the task to try and explain and share what's found here in Psalm 103 because it is such a wonderful and familiar psalm to many of us. So um, we're going to go to the Lord and ask for his help because that's what we really need anyway. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this beautiful psalm. And we thank you, Father, that this psalm is beautiful, not just because of how it's written or the words or the framing of it, but because of the truth it conveys. Father, help us to be impacted by the truth we find here. Father, I pray that you would help the explanation of it to be helpful 
to provide some insight into how it's organized and what it communicates to us. Help us to be reminded. I don't expect to uncover things that have never been heard before. Father, these are common things we've all heard before. But may it be a beautiful, helpful reminder to us that our joy, that our happiness, our praise is not based on just how things go in our lives, but is based upon who you are and what you do for us as your children. Help us to take great joy in that and uh, be blessed as we look at this psalm. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to see, first of all, we're going to focus in on verses 1 and 2 first. And notice here how David gives the command to praise. So we're going to see the command to praise here in verses 1 and 2. So let's read those two verses. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, no, forget none of his benefits. Forget none of his benefits. So we have here the command to praise in verses 1 and 2. And what we see here at the beginning of the psalm, it says the subtitle here, Psalm 103, it says a psalm of David. Uh, this is uh, written in the Hebrew is the uh, uh, inscription that describes this being a psalm from David. He is the author. He is the one that wrote this. Um, and he is here urging himself to bless God, to praise God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. So David here is speaking to himself. Now, if, I'm not 100% certain, but it was either one or two weeks ago. We in Sunday school heard from Jim Berg where he was talking about the concept of sometimes we need to challenge ourselves in doing the right thing. We all sometimes get down, we get discouraged, we get off focused, and sometimes we simply need to remind ourselves and challenge ourselves to think right and act right, and that's exactly what David is doing here. He is challenging himself to give praise and honor to God as he is worthy of that. So David is urging himself here to praise God and it is a reminder to us that we often also need to stir ourselves up to worship God because to fail to wholeheartedly worship him is to dishonor him because he is worthy of our best. He is worthy of our praise and of our praise of our entire person and all that we can give him. If you remember of David, as another example of this concept, David, at one time, after the plague had happened in Israel, you remember, he went to go and make a sacrifice to the Lord, and the man from whom he uh, was going to and talking with was going to get some things to make a, off, uh, he was going to get the land there and uh, make a sacrifice, which would eventually become the future temple location. And the man said, take it, it's yours, I freely give it. And what did David say? I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. And I believe it's that same kind of attitude and spirit we see here with David, that he is focused on worshiping his God, and he is pushing himself to give God his all, even in his worship. You might think of it as an analogy, like the tuning of an instrument. Have you gone to hear an orchestra play before? And what, what's, what does the orchestra do at the beginning when they're getting ready? 
You, you, when the conductor comes up and they're ready to get started, right? What do they all do? They all start making noise. They're getting their instruments in tune. They're making sure they're ready to play. And I believe that's the same kind of idea of what David's doing here. He is stirring himself up so that he is ready to worship God in the manner in which he is worthy. And it's a great lesson for us to remember as well that we also need to be fully engaged. Notice he says, in verse 1, and all that is within me, my entire being should be engaged in worshiping God. He says, my soul, oh my soul, that my inner person, all that I am, should be engaged in this process. Now, I won't ask for a raise of hands because I would be guilty too. But how many of us sit through song services, through songs we know very well, and we just go through the motions of singing them because we've sung them a hundred times, a thousand times before? Do we not do that? Of course we do. That's the human tendency. But we need to fight that. We need to engage ourselves fully in the worship of God because he is worthy and deserving. David challenges himself here to fully engage in his worship of his God. And he says here to bless his holy name. He is holy. Some say the, the attribute of God's holiness is his governing attribute. All that he is is holy and good and gracious and his holiness is worthy of our praise and david just challenging himself to give praise to god for his holiness and his name here referring to his person that his revealed character who he is we need to give praise to god for who he is but david then also goes on and explains what he's going to focus on in this psalm for the most part and that is the subject of his benefits notice in verse 2 it says bless the lord O my soul and forget none of his benefits this is a focus throughout this psalm the benefits of god those good things that we receive as children of god they are part of our relationship with him and therefore we give praise to him for the benefits that are bestowed upon us as a child of God. We understand in the, in the work world that when you get a job, there are things that go along with that job, right? You get a job working for a company, there are certain perks or certain benefits that go with getting that job. The big contention of late has been the necessity or the requirement that the government has been trying to put on businesses that the benefits need to include health insurance. You have to give employees health insurance as a benefit of working for you. And basically, it's you get to a certain number of employees, it's not optional. You have to have it. I believe it's if you're over 49, you've reached 50 employees. It's a requirement. So they're almost taking it beyond the stage of benefit. They're actually making it a requirement. But there are many things that are often included in getting a job. You get benefits. You, you get things like time off when you're sick. You, you get uh, time off for vacation. You get uh, uh, many things that may come. You, depending on your job, you may get a free vehicle to, to use that is a benefit. But benefits are things that go along with that job that you have. Well, there's a similar concept in our relationship with God. There are benefits we have as children of God, and they are great and glorious benefits for which we need to praise God. 
And David is reminding himself here not to forget those. Not to forget, because that is our human tendency, is it not? Our tendency is to take advantage of those, to take for granted what we've been given and just assume it, like we're owed it. And that's one of the contentions that many people have had on this subject of health insurance, like it's, it's owed to me, it's a right, it's a human right. Well, it, you know, it isn't. It, it's a benefit that many get and, and some don't. Um, in our relationship with God, there are benefits given to us as the children of God. And we need to remember, as David is challenging himself, and thereby, because it's recorded under the inspiration of God, also challenging us, we need to not forget the good benefits we have as children of God. Let's notice, secondly, that we see here the content for which David is praising God. The content. What is the substance of what he's praising God for? What are these benefits? Well, we see, first of all, the core benefits, I think, in verses 3 through 5. What are the, the core benefits, the, the, the base things that are included if you're a child of God? What benefits do you have? Well, first of all, number one is forgiveness. He says in verse 3, "...who pardons all our iniquities." He pardons all of our iniquities. Forgiveness is the pardoning or letting go of a debt. It is to forgive, to let go the debt that we owe. And if you're a child of God, God forgives the entirety of your debt against him. When we think about it in terms of human court and, and crimes that are committed in this day and age to help illustrate this is really significant as, as we play this out. Just think about it in human terms. How many times do we watch the news and we know a certain person? So sometimes there are celebrities or well-known people that commit a crime and everyone knows it. And we see such a person get off with a lesser sentence or we see them uh, get totally free of that consequence, right? We have a sense of justice and frustration about it should be that they should get in trouble for that. Or in a, in, a, in a court system, sometimes people are guilty of multiple things. And what happens is it's difficult for the lawyers to necessarily prove everything. Or the jury may not be willing to convict them of everything. So they'll lessen the charges to get something that they can actually make stick. Right? But when we think about that in human terms... Um, we're often, on one side of it, frustrated about what people get or don't get for their punishment. And yet, when you, that's just the public things that we know about. Think about our offenses against God. We have committed more sins and offenses against the perfectly righteous and holy, good and loving God than we can even remember or count. And yet, as a child of God, he forgives us all of those through his sacrifice of his son, the punishment of his son. We have him remaining as righteous and just. He punished his son, and through faith in him, we have the forgiveness of sins. What a glorious benefit we have as a child of God. It is worthy of our great praise. And again, we need to remember, not forget. 
This is a benefit. This is a privilege. This is something for which we should give great thanks. We also should remember um, that he gives more than just that. But he starts here with forgiveness, I think, for uh, at least one or more reasons here that the forgiveness of sins is actually the means by which we can then enjoy the rest of them. By being forgiven of our sins, we are restored to good favor with God, and therefore we can enjoy the rest of these blessings. So this one is appropriately placed first, so we understand its importance and priority. But notice also, he heals all our diseases, it says here. Ultimately, if we understand the scriptures, sickness, death, is a result of sin. And by being forgiven of our sins begins the process of our ultimate healing. Now, forgiveness and healing are both given and going to be given in their entirety, but not in exactly the same way or timetable. Forgiveness is given immediately. We are justified by faith. When we come to faith in Christ, we are immediately justified, forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. But yet the physical healing here is a process that is going to take place over time and ultimately will be completed with our glorification when we have new bodies and we'll spend eternity with Christ. But he gives healing. He also does sustain us. He, he allows our bodies to heal. When we do get sick and we recover, he sustains our life. This is a benefit. This is a privilege from God. If we got what we deserved, we would be dead already. The fact that we continue to live and have life is a blessing and a benefit of being a child of God. We also see he rescues us from destruction. Notice he says in verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. He redeems your life. The word redemption means to buy back. It's a beautiful illustration in the book of Ruth of the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer is a close relative of an individual who's lost a loved one. And what often happened in that situation is because they lost a key man in the family, that the land that they owned would be given to somebody else or somebody else would buy it. And the kinsman redeemer would be a close relative who would take on the responsibility for paying back so that that land could be returned to the family. Well, as a child of God, that's what Christ does for us. We become a child of God. He is our kinsman redeemer. He buys us back. We are sold into slavery and sin and do the punishment of that. And yet he paid for us. He gave his life for us. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he uh, rescues us from the destruction. That is, we were spiritually dead and he rescues us from spiritual death and also from the eternal death, which would be the consequence of that spiritual death. So we have great reason to praise God for his rescue from our destruction that was pending. We also see we have reason to praise him because of his abundant goodness to us. Look at verse 4 again. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The idea here of crowning you is a figure of speech. It's not that we're uh, wearing a physical crown, obviously. The point is that he showers us. He abundantly gives to us love and kindness and demonstrates that in our lives. David speaks in another psalm. 
Psalm 23 about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What's his point? It's another figure of speech there to say that God abundantly shows goodness and love and mercy to his children. We have reason to praise him for his abundant goodness. We have reason to praise him also, verse 5, because of his provision. Notice verse 5, it says, Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is like renewed like the eagle. Some translations there, instead of years, say mouth. Your mouth is filled with good things. Or another translation might say desires. The idea, whatever the accurate explanation is, is that God satisfies his children. God provides for what we need, and that is cause for praise. We give him praise because he satisfies us, and God alone is able to satisfy us. We praise God because of his provision, and this provision gives us strength, he says, like the eagle. The eagle is a very, very strong bird. Uh, I read this about one eagle that is found in Africa. They say this, this eagle in Africa, the Marshall Eagle is, uh, has a wingspan of 2.6 meters, and it weighs up to uh, 6.2 kilograms, so it's apparently in uh, English measurements here. But it says the bird is so large and, ag large and aggressive that has been sighted catching a variety of large animals, including antelopes, lions, and even baboons. Many farmers are actually frightened of this bird of prey because it occasionally attacks their livestock. An eagle is a very strong bird, and the point here is the things that God gives us, he sustains us, he renews our strength, he continues to strengthen us day by day. It is a gift from God, and we should give him praise for that. But notice also we should praise God because of the character of of God himself, or the character of our benefactor here, as David is discussing in verses 6 through 10. Notice in verse 6, it says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He is righteous and just. He works righteousness. He accomplishes what is right, and he works for justice. Now, again, as we talked about our human court system, we often look at that and say, justice isn't served here. This wasn't justice. And yet, ultimately, that's not the end. Ultimately, God will judge all mankind, and that will be justice being served. But he is also at work in this world, in this life. He humbles the proud. He does bring people to justice. Not every human being who commits a crime is punished for that. But God ultimately knows all of those things and is going to bring people to account we need to recognize and praise God for his justice. Notice also that he is a revealer. He reveals himself. Verse 7, he made, known to his, uh, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Uh, he reveals himself. And what a privilege it is in our day and age that we have the word of God. We would not know God. We would not understand who God is. We would not have been able to come to Christ without the word of God. It is a great blessing and privilege of the child of God to have the word of God. It is cause for great praise. Notice also he is merciful. Verse 8 uh, and gracious. Uh, it says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. 
Uh, we are told that God is merciful, gracious, he's compassionate, he takes pity on us. He recognizes who we are and our weakness, and he, and he, and he understands that and treats us in accordance with that. Uh, we see that he is patient, he is slow to anger. We deserve much correction, much uh, trouble and difficulty in life. We, we want an easy life, we want it to be great and wonderful, but if we're honest, we recognize we don't deserve that because we've been sinful, we've made bad choices, and yet God is very gracious and merciful with his children, very slow to anger. And what a challenge as well to us to think about from the perspective of being parents or grandparents and how we need to be patient, understand it. Remember what we were like. Don't we forget? We forget how bad we were, how sinful we were, how rebellious we were, how sneaky we were. Uh, our children, in many cases, are much like us. Uh, in some cases, they're much better. In some cases, they may be worse, but uh, we need to be slow and compassionate like God is. But we should praise him for this. We also should recognize he's full of love, he is abounding in love, it tells us, abounding in loving kindness. We also should appreciate a benefit of being a child of God is his discipline. He does discipline us. He doesn't fail to correct us when we're wrong. But this is a temporary uh, response in our lives. God disciplines us quickly. He deals with things that are wrong in our life to correct us, but he doesn't dwell on it or continue to throw it back in our face. He deals with us in a loving, disciplined manner. Notice verse 9 and 10. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He, as a loving father, does correct us, but his goal is correction. His goal is not just to make you feel guilty. His goal is not to rub your nose in it. Now, I might get in trouble here, and I don't know how widely uh, th this is going to be heard, but uh, it was my experience with dog training as a young person that one of the ways you taught a dog, I, I don't know if this is still the right way, I haven't had a dog in a long time, and if this is cruel, please help me to understand the better way, but what I remember from my child years and how a dog was trained, one of the ways a dog was trained in not to uh, make a mess in the house was when it did you brought it to the mess and pointed it out and told the dog, no, 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 or whatever. You, you put the dog's nose so it could smell and it was reminded, and that was part of the training process. Well, God does point out to us our wrong, but his purpose is not to rub our noses in it or to humiliate us. His purpose is to correct us. It is something for which we should give him great thanks. It is a benefit that he corrects us and we should be thankful for that if we want to be like him we want to grow in righteousness and be conformed to the image of christ it is a great cause for praise but it is also a cause for praise that he doesn't dwell on that or continue to throw that up in our face oh you remember when you did that thing that's not god if that's happening to you that's satan or it's your own mind it's not god if you've dealt with it he's moved on God is gracious. He disciplines us quickly. It's cause for thanksgiving. We also see the cause for these benefits, and we notice three characteristics of God highlighted here in verses 11 to 14. We see, first of all, for his love, his co faithful covenant love that he has for his children. Look at verse 11. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. 
He is loving kind. He is faithful and loyally loving to his children. This is the idea again of the covenant love, the special love that he has for his children. It is so great. And the point is not that we do the calculations. We tend to be a very precise uh, day and age and measuring everything. The point isn't exactly how far. The point is it's beyond our ability to measure. God's love is so great, and we need to praise him for that. But notice the qualification. It is for those who are his children. It says to those who fear him, those who understand who he is and have responded to him in faith and are in a right relationship with him and reverently submit to him, to them he has this love because they are his and they demonstrate it in their lives. He also is forgiving. His forgiveness is complete, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. The idea here, the east and the west, again, in our day and age and in technology, we understand the earth is a, earth is a globe and we can, we can say in one sense the, earth, uh, the east and the west will eventually meet. But the point is, uh, speaking figuratively here, uh, David is just saying uh, when, you're, when you're in Palestine, you're in Israel and you, you go east, you go west, they're complete opposites. They don't uh, meet up. The, the idea is God's forgiveness is infinite. He has forgiven everything. He has completely, 100% removed our sin and has caused for great praise. He also here speaks again of his fatherly compassion, verses 13 and 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He has compassion on us as a father. He, he pities us as a father. He pities, again, those who fear him, his children, those who have come to know him in faith and walk with him. And why does he pity us? Because he knows our frame. We are but dust. He is the maker. He knows we're weak and temporary. And he has compassion on us in light of that. Praise God for his compassion. But we notice also uh, the cause for praise here is the chain, changeless nature of our benefits. The changeless natures because they are based on the changeless character of God. Look at verses 15 to 18 with me. It says, As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. So we start off here with the character of grass. What is grass like? And this is a common theme in scripture. We see that grass is temporary. It flowers, it grows, but then uh, hard circumstances come. And it, uh, in this case, wind, it, it blows away, it's destroyed. And eventually it's not found anymore. We as human beings are like grass, very temporary. But God, in contrast to us in verses 17 and 18, is everlasting. He is eternal, and so is his loving kindness to us. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. Think about this. You are going to die. I hope I'm not breaking some news to you that you weren't aware of. I don't know when. You don't know when, but you're going to die. Unless the Lord returns, and that would be great. If he comes back and we all go with him, um, we, we don't experience death. 
but otherwise we're going to die. But the loving kindness of God doesn't stop with our death. If you're a child of God, his loving kindness will be shown to you throughout eternity. But there's another neat aspect to this that you may not be thinking of. Verse 17, it says, And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant. God shows kindness to our descendants who come to know him as well. It may be that God uses your life to reach and influence your children and your grandchildren, and God shows kindness to them too, and it's an extension of his kindness to you. What a great joy. God's loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. It is a cause for great praise. I read a quote from Matthew Henry about this concept. How long and lasting God's mercy is to his people. It will continue longer than their lives and will survive their present state. You may feel overwhelmed or discouraged about a present situation, but God's loving kindness hasn't changed. If you're a child of God, he'll continue to show you loving kindness through this thing you're going through as well as forever beyond it. God's loving kindness is cause for great praise. We see lastly, as we finish the psalm, we'll just cover this quickly, but basically there's a call for universal praise of God from all of creation, essentially. 19 to 22, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. So we see here, there's a universal call for praise to God. It talks about the angels, verse 20. All the rest of the host of heaven, it says in verse 21. Uh, all of the created beings, many of which we don't even have a concept of what's out there, but many uh, heavenly beings uh, that God created, they all to praise him. And his works, it says in verse 22. All of his creation, he has made everything. He is Lord over all, and all are responsible to praise him in heaven and earth and sea. He deserves praise because he is good and he gives many great and wonderful benefits. Now, notice I left off part of verse 22. Did you catch that? Because David brings the whole focus back at the end of the psalm to his responsibility to praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so we should do the same. We should bring the focus back to ourselves. We need to praise God for he is worthy. He gives many great benefits. Now, we can look at our lives, and we can see good things going on, and we can be discouraged about bad things going on, but ultimately need to recognize that God doesn't change, and the benefits of being his children do not change. But we need to truly be a child of God. Now, I'm looking out at the audience, and I'm thinking probably most everybody, if not everybody here, is a believer this morning, but I would like to draw attention to the fact as David does many times throughout the psalm, these benefits, these blessings belong to those who are the children of God. I work at the University of Michigan, I think most of you know, as, as my other job. I, at, at the university, have some benefits that I get. I get some vacation time. I get sick time. One of my favorite times of the year is this time because I get off 
Christmas all the way to New Year's. That's paid time off. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to rub it in, but it's just a benefit we enjoy. It's a benefit I have. But you know what? The University of Michigan is a popular brand, isn't it? There's, there's a football team. There's a lot of people who love the football team. My, my family, I have much of my family that loves the University of Michigan football team. In fact, before I ever worked there, I was a big fan because my family was. So we watched football all the time. I have family members that have gone to the games. I have some family members that have been students at the University of Michigan. I have family members who have graduated from the University of Michigan. But you know what? None of those people have the benefits of being a U of M employee. Just being a fan, just even just going there to school, doesn't give you the benefits that you get for being an employee of the institution. In a similar manner, a lot of people like God. A lot of people believe that God exists. A lot of people are fans of the things that God stands for and does, and yet haven't truly come to trust him as Savior and Lord. These benefits are only for those who have truly become children of God by faith, by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and a whole uh, trust of self in him and him alone for salvation. Until you become a child of God, you don't ultimately get these benefits. If you are a child of God, though, what a great cause for praise and thanksgiving. We should give him much praise and thanksgiving for his great and glorious benefits. It is an immense privilege to be a child of God and enjoy these great things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are generous, that you are gracious, that you are forgiving, that you have given your son, that we can have life through him. Father, I, I look out and I think probably most everyone here knows you, but if someone doesn't, they're not enjoying these benefits. Father, I pray that you'd help them to come to know Jesus Christ so that they could enjoy these benefits too. Father, for us who do know you, for those who are your children, help us to reflect on these things and give you praise for these benefits. And there's more, Father. We, there's more things we didn't even talk about. Thank you, Father, for your abundant goodness to us. Help us to give you wholehearted praise because you are worthy and you are good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.